Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Hello and welcome to the 2020 first edition of Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Back here doing our podcast in a brand new year, in a brand new decade. Michael, my friend, how are you? I'm doing great, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well, and all of our listeners. We certainly appreciate you, and uh, glad to be back here with you, and just still just stunned at 2020. I'm, I'm not used to, even though I've been uh, creating files and some things like that with a podcast with the 2020 number on it for a while, it still seems weird. I think it takes a couple of weeks, doesn't it, usually to get used to writing the new year? Yeah, I'll still be writing out checks with uh, last year on it until February. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, how was your how was your trip? You went to uh, Mexico. Yeah, no, it was great. Time well spent, kind of a way to kind of decompress and, uh, you know, right back at it in 2020. Awesome. Well, speaking of, let me ask you a quick question. CN, uh, CNBC, excuse me, I had a list of five top destinations where you can retire for less than 30000 a year. And uh, Mexico was on there, so it made me think about asking you that. It was uh, Puerto Vallarta. I know that's Puerto Vallarta, but somewhere in Costa Rica, I can't say that one. <laughs> Portugal, uh, a place in Mexico, Panama, a place in Colombia, which that one seems kind of crazy. But uh, anyway, do you have any clients who do retire outside of the country or that have talked about it or anything like that? Yeah, we, we had quite a few clients, I'd say maybe 15 or so that have actually over the last you know five or 10 years mm -hmm. have basically said, you know what, we're moving to New Zealand, Australia, we're going to Europe, Costa Rica, you know, some in Mexico, other parts of Central America, where it is, you know, relatively cheap compared to here. What winds up happening for most, and we still have a couple kind of expats that are floating out there in Central America and South America that are clients. But for the most part, what winds up happening is they say this because now that, you know, they're getting close to retirement or they're in retirement and then the kids are finally out of the house and, you know, they're on their own and maybe they're married, but there's no grandkids or anything. And then usually what happens in most instances is this great plan to how we're going to live in Costa Rica and, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year and live this luxurious lifestyle, which, you know, can be done, by the way, is, oh, wait, our first grandchild came. Oh no, no, I'm, you know, we may be moving, but we're moving closer to the grandkids. You know, it's, we're, we're not, we're not going international. So uh, a lot of times we'll build in the plans to where we have a budget for international travel. Uh, but for the most part, especially if there's grandkids involved, you know, kind of scattered throughout the country, usually the uh, grandma isn't going to allow that to happen. So, you know, right. that's kind of a best case scenario for planning. And then all of a sudden life happens. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, it got me to thinking about it. So I, I, I see, uh, some various different things. I saw another interesting story a, a couple weeks back, and it was like in Italy they were paying uh, paying folks, Americans specifically, like ten thousand dollars to move to a, like this region in Italy or something like that. So I was like, this is some interesting stuff out there. And it's like, well, that's probably going to cover your moving, and that's probably about it. You know, to move your whole family, to hold your whole life to Italy or overseas, probably isn't cheap. Yeah, no, there's actually recently, uh, I think I think it was on CNBC, there was an article that, you know, there's been a lot of press about it where, you know, you can buy this home in this small village in Italy for, you know, a dollar eleven or something like that. Now, contingent on that you would make improvements and you have to live there a certain amount of time. And oh, okay. what's yeah, and what, what's happening on that, though, is and it's happening in a large part, especially in developed countries. You know, so Italy, of course, would be one of those you right. can have in, in various parts, especially rural parts of the U.S. And then certain parts of Europe, the rural parts of Europe as well is 
that you know without having a large population base just with the aging kind of baby boomers if you think about it you know that are nearing retirement and kind of moving on mm-hmm. is that a lot of these smaller areas you know these you know what you know not really suburbs because they're pretty rural these areas have lost you know the the young groups that would normally have grown up there stayed there worked there and died there over you know multiple generations mm. are moving into the cities or they're moving someplace else. Right. So now a lot of those homes, a lot of that real estate is abandoned. And now it's not only impacting the real estate, but also any of the local purveyors of the merchants, the stores, you know, they don't have the population base to provide goods and services. So it's kind of a snowball effect. And that's why they're trying to entice, mm, okay. uh, entice individuals, you know, to, to basically help go there to help the local economy. Right. I, I tell you what, I was looking hard at it. I was like, hmm, living in Italy, have a little, <laughs> have a little wine farm or something. You know, I know that's not the right term, but I like saying wine farm. <laughs> I know it's a vineyard, but wine farm just cracks me up. I don't know why, yep, but I, agree, I say I it to my wife all the time and she's like, stop. That's she's like, it's such a silly word. It's vineyard. I was like, I know what it is, <laughs> but it's funny and it makes you laugh. So anyway, let's go ahead and uh, turn our attention to our new topic, but I uh, keep an eye out. We might, you know, you might, I might do a show one of these days from Italy. I'll be like, I'm checking in with Mike here from the podcast from Italy. You never know. Yeah. From uh, Mark's wine farm. That's right. Yeah. From Mark's wine farm. That's what I'm gonna call it too. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, turn our attention to our main topic and that's managing debt and retirement planning and that's what we're going to discuss here for a little bit do you believe you need to be completely debt free to retire successfully or are you okay carrying some balances beyond the working years so you know there's opinions on different ways to go with some of this stuff so michael tell us about a client or you know just some thoughts that you have or people that you see when they come in that are you know their thought process on having debt or not having debt in retirement yeah, this is right up our, the wheelhouse of our practice. We talk about it every week on the on the podcast and every day when I'm meeting with, you know, existing clients and prospective clients is about, you know, so we can call it debt, you know, on there, but what I really call is cash flow. And, you know, our whole practice is based on individuals, you know, when we talked, I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, just before the new year about, you know, accumulation, which is more the growth phase and distribution, more the income phase is, you know, what we try to really hammer home with clients is that debt is just something that impacts your cash flow. So it's not good debt or bad debt. You know, ideally no debt would be 100% the best place, but we have clients that, you know, will roll over, they'll come in with a million dollars and they can live on their $50,000, $60,000 of social security, maybe a small pension, and they don't even need any of the actual assets that they've saved up. Gotcha. So, you know, so then, you know, then it's more tax planning, worry about required rent distributions, all these other things down the road to make them more tax efficient. But then we have other clients that come in and they might bring in, you know, a million, two million, three million dollars of assets, but they're also coming in saying that, oh, I've got a two hundred fifty thousand dollar mortgage. I've got four years left on two luxury car payments. Oh, we got a boat, and you know, our cabin up in Michigan. You know, so they're carrying in with them. Yeah, they've got more assets, but they're carrying in with them all these obligations where they need more cash flow just to cover their fixed expenses on a monthly and annual basis. So, you know, how you manage debt and how you think about it and, you know, should you be completely debt free? It depends on your sources of income. So if you have sustainable, predictable income, you've got regular income coming in. So you have permission to spend whatever those gains are because, you know, next year it's going to generate the same, if not more income. Then having a little debt's not necessarily bad. You know, it depends on the type of debt, but isn't necessarily bad. But if you're in a situation where, you know, you're going to pretty much spend every dime that comes in just to cover your normal living expenses, then debt can be a killer there. So, you know, it's one of those things where we come in at the very early stage, what we call our discovery meeting, we sit down and say, okay, you know, are we utilizing our assets to the best of our ability? 
you know, are we leveraging to be able to generate as much income as reasonably possible in a tax efficient manner to be able to manage that debt to either pay it down more quickly? So later on, maybe when the paycheck goes away or, you know, when we're going to start tapping into the retirement plans, we're not carrying this, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a month of payments that are going to the bank that we're not really getting any benefit from. Okay. So do you subscribe, Mike, or do you have any you know thoughts on one way or the other to the good debt versus bad debt kind of ideas? Do you think there is quote unquote good debt? There's never good debt because it always kills your cash flow. You know, so even a zero percent interest okay. rate still kind of kills your cash flow. You still got to send a payment, even if even if it is all all principal. You know, going towards an auto or something. Right. So you know, now when where good debt and bad debt used to come from, good debt used to be your mortgage, and you know, so that was really where they would say, hey, that that's good debt, and it's good debt for two reasons. One, under the prior tax code there's a really good chance that you're able to write off all of your mortgage interest, all of your property taxes, and then that would be a bigger write-off than just taking the standard deduction. Now, for many people with the new tax code, that's gone away. So now mortgage interest is just an expense. The property taxes that you're paying are primarily just an expense. So that's not good debt if you're not getting any kind of tax benefit from it. The second part of that is that good debt, well, hey, it's okay. You get a tax write-off for it. And at the same time, your home's going to appreciate significantly in value over time. Well, it only took the last financial crisis to figure out that that doesn't always happen. So, you know, sometimes you're underwater on the home and sometimes it takes you five, 10 years to get back even, you know, in those kind of, you know, crisis scenarios. So carrying debt on a depreciating asset isn't really a good thing as well. So ideally, doesn't mean that, you know, you're wrong for having a mortgage or a car payment or, you know, a little bit of debt out here. What it means is take a look at it in the context of just what's your fixed expenses and your fixed income. Because anything that's variable are things that you're going to have to cut if that debt's too high because debt is a fixed expense. So ideally, if in retirement, you want to be able to travel and you want to be able to volunteer and do all the things that you dreamed of for the last 30 years while you were plugging away and saving money, the more debt you carry into retirement, the less likely you're going to have the resources to do those things. Well, do we need to be debt-free in retirement? Is it a is it a big stressor that people bring into it thinking, man, I really want to get this you know, gone before I get there. I want to have the house paid off or whatever the case is. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, financially, of course, it makes sense to, you know, pay off the debt. Even more importantly, and I see it and I love this, people will text me copies of their checks, you know, when they're making that final payment uh, because they'll come in and let's say they've got, you know, a fifty dollars or $75,000 mortgage, but they've got $150,000 in the bank cash okay. you know, above and beyond their retirement savings and this. And I'll sit back and like, well, why do we still have the mortgage? We can't write it off. So, you know, and interest rates are really low now. Maybe you're only paying three, four, five percent on the mortgage anyway. Said so you're not really getting a tax benefit. The bank's paying you maybe half a percent on the savings. Mm-hmm. And if you take it from the bank, pay off the mortgage. So now your cash flow is just improved because you're no longer sending that principal and interest payment every month to the mortgage. Now all of a sudden you get to be in a position where you get the peace of mind and the freedom of understanding, you know what? Not only do I not have this kind of albatross of debt holding over my head, but now I've just freed up $300, $1,000 a month that you normally wouldn't have. And if you think about your net worth and kind of your own personal balance sheet, by paying that debt off, it actually went into equity in your home. So it's a lateral move. You didn't lose that $75,000 in that example. Your net worth stayed the same. It's just partly in your home now. Gotcha. And you can take out a home equity loan if you ever needed it or home equity line if you actually had to have it. So you still have emergency money. 
Your net worth is the same, but you've just helped your cash flow by about $500 to $1,000 a month. So it's a win-win across the board. Okay. Well, as we wrap up this uh, conversation about managing debt and retirement planning, maybe you'll just can share uh, share a little story with us or something like that, an anecdote where uh, you've helped someone get debt-free in the process of building that retirement plan. Or is that just something you do all the time? Yeah, we build it in all the time. So, you know, when we talk about, and every every week we talk about kind of the five steps that are associated, you know, with our retirement success blueprint, our written financial plan. And the number one part is the retirement income plan. And sometimes, sure, that's about the investments and how they're generating income for you and that. But just as much as it's taking a look on the other side of the ledger and saying, okay, what debt and obligations do we have? And how do we utilize the resources that we currently have or will have over time? to make sure that we can get these things paid down. So as we are either early into retirement or even before we get there, then now all of a sudden we don't need nearly as much income coming in because it's not just being sent to the bank on payments. So it's just part of the overall financial planning process that we go through just to make sure that if we're gonna have debt, it's good debt because we're actually getting some kind of benefit from it. It's not good debt when we don't have any kind of tax write-offs or we're, you know, all we're doing is sending checks to the bank for no reason. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hopefully you found that useful folks and a few things to think about when we're talking about managing debt and retirement planning and going through those steps. If you've got questions or some concerns, or you want to have a conversation with Michael, we remind you all the time to give him a call before you take any action as you should with anything. When you hear different things uh, from any kind of financial show, 815-526-3092, your number to call 815-526-3092. Get yourself onto the counter, have a conversation with Mike and the whole team there at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. One-stop shop for you with a CPA, enrolled agent, paralegal, all on staff. And we're going to finish up with an email question for our first episode back. And who do we have here? We have Norm and Carrie. And Norm says, Michael, how much risk is appropriate to take with my investments now that I'm in retirement? Well, Norm, congratulations on what sounds like a recent retirement. Uh, the amount of risk that you take, now that's going to be subjective as far as everybody's scenario is going to be different. You know, do you need income? Do you need growth? What's the purpose of the assets? All those kind of things. But for the sake of, you know, kind of a mailbag question, rule of thumb in general, kind of a starting point is take 100 and subtract your age from that. So, and I know it's very simplistic and life's more complicated than that, but that'll at least let you know, are you in the ballpark of taking too much risk or maybe not even not enough risk? You know, once again, depends on is the goal income, is the goal growth, but in general, so let's say you're 65, Norm, and then you take 100 minus 65, that means that at a maximum, you know, as far as a comfort level, about a third or 35%, you know, so 100 minus 65 is 35. So about 35% is probably where you want to tap out as far as the maximum amount of market exposure, what we'd consider risks. That means that 65% should either be in something that's either insured or, you know, just uh, less risky than the market in general, maybe things that are paying you interest and dividends. You know, now if you're 30, well, 100 minus 30, so you should be about 70% plus in the market. Uh, you know, so that's a good starting point. But really, when you think about you know answering that question for you, Norm, it really comes down to taking a look at your written financial plan. You know, we call ours the Retirement Success Blueprint. Taking a look at that written financial plan, and then say the amount of risk that you need to take is how much you need that's going to allow you to realistically accomplish your goals. Don't take more risk than that because it's not worth it, and also don't take any less. You know, so we sit down and say, okay, what kind of total return are we looking for? Because return is both a function of income, you know, income, interest, and dividends that you get off your investments, plus whatever growth or the amount of the market returns. 
So if we have a client that's pretty conservative and maybe done a really good job of savings and they're saying, hey, you know what, I'm not really hoping for about a six, 7% return. Well, if we can get 5% of it or four or 5% of it in the income phase, you know, just in bonds and bond-like instruments, then we only need a few extra kickers as a percentage for gains to achieve our goals. Then we really don't have to have a whole lot in the market. We could have less than that 100 minus your age. If we're somebody that says, no, I need eight, 10% returns, and we only get four or 5% from the income side, well, now we've got to add more to that growth bucket and have more in the market. So I tell clients every week, you know, if you've saved enough money to provide you the income that you want, you get to do all the things you wanted to in retirement, and you never have to worry about running out of money, then you've won the game, right? That's kind of the ideal of what you're trying to do. But then I come back with them and I say, well, why are you still playing the game? And what that means is if you've won, why would you risk losing? So clients will come in, they're 80, 90% in the market. That's done well for them over the, over the lifetime while they're accumulating assets. But now that they're approaching retirement, kind of like where you are at Norm, what winds up happening is, okay, if you've won and you can do all the things that you want, not risk running out of money, have all the income that you need, it's tax efficient. Why would you continue to take that same amount of risk other than just for the sake of taking risk? It's not worth it at the end of the day. So instead, what you want to do is protect what you have, preserve what you have, generate the income that you need, and then you'll be able to leave, uh, leave a bigger legacy, whether it's to the kids, the grandkids, the church, whomever it may be. This is what's going to provide you a great retirement. You know, So how much risk should you take, Norm? It's going to be specific to everybody else. I would start with that rule of thumb of 100 minus your age and then focus on what you really need your money to do. We have some clients that say, hey, if I can average 5% of my money, that's perfect, and I'll just peel that off as interest and dividends and never touch the principal. That's great. They don't need any market risk. Others say, nope, I want a rising income over time, or I don't need income currently. Well, great. Then we're going to have a little bit more in the market. So it's going to be specific to your specific circumstances, and I'd always reference you back to your written plan. All right. Well, great question, Norm. Thank you so much. A lot of great information there from Mike. So hopefully that helps you out uh, along the way. Give him a call at 815-526-3092 to talk more specifically, as he said, because everybody's situation is a little bit different there. And as always, we appreciate your time here on the podcast, Retirement Matters. Make sure you go and subscribe to us on Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever different outlet you might choose to listen to stuff on. You can also find the podcast on Mike's webpage at crystallaketax.com. That is Crystal tax.com and of course you can check out his website a lot of good tools tips and resources to be found there as well all right my friend well congratulations on a fun trip and a new year and welcome to 2020 and uh, we're going to have an interesting 2020 i think that's for sure an election year and uh, just another year of markets so let's see what happens possibly yeah we'll see what's going to go on and we'll talk about it all right here on retirement matters with michael stewart we'll see you next time investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. 
Sound Income Strategies LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies LLC are not associated entities.